Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. (laughs) I thought it would be strange that Peter would have the audacity, uh, the unmitigated nerve to try to tell Jesus what to do. But then I thought about it. There's probably some people right now in the church that think they can tell Jesus what to do. Amen. Let's get into the word. Today's message will be coming from the gospel according to Mark, the eighth chapter. I'm going to be reading the 27th through the 38th verse. Again, that is the gospel according to Mark, chapter 8. I'm going to be reading verses 27 through 38. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version of God's Word. Uh, Let's see what it has to say for us today. Amen. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, church. O Lord, our God, how excellent is your name. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your name is great and greatly to be praised. We thank you for this opportunity to gather once again and study your word. Lord God, I ask that every word that I think and every, uh, every word that I speak and every thought that I think be acceptable in your sight. And that I can point people to Jesus, to know him in the pardoning of their sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
For the time that we get to share together today, I would like to talk about four scandals from a survey. Four scandals from a survey. Uh, one thing that I appreciate now, but did not appreciate in the past, is a survey. I used to hate taking surveys. I, I thought it was a waste of time. I didn't want to spend a bunch of time trying to fill out a form or do an interview telling someone how I felt about a particular issue or a product or a subject or a politician. Uh, now that I do so much work with large groups, be it with the church, the annual conference, uh, with the city or a community service organization, I see that surveys have value. Those surveys allow me to see what is going on with a bunch of people at once. I get the results, I learn something from the results, and learn to work smarter the next time around. Surveys let me know what I am doing well, what I can improve, and what someone feels at a particular time. And I know that I'm not the only one that appreciates looking at the data gathered from surveys. Yes, marketers know this, which is why one of the benefits of technology over the last couple of decades has been helpful for them. In this high-tech world, companies and pollsters will get information from us whether we want it or not. We can give it to them via surveys, uh, text messages, surveys, and phone call surveys, or we can give it to them when we shop. I, yes, uh, I recall um, uh, Bishop Benjamin saying, if you show me your checkbook, I'll show you your God. Uh, uh, let me prove it. You ever been to a grocery store or a convenience store and purchased some candy and had them scan your rewards card or had them enter in your phone number? Then the next week you get an email from that store with a coupon for that candy and not only that candy, but other candy like it. The grocery store picks up on your shopping habits and begins to know what you like without you ever having to tell anyone. Or how about when you search online uh, for a new pair of shoes and then you get off uh, uh, of the search engine and you go over to Facebook or Instagram or, or some other social media site and ad after ad comes up for the same shoes you have looked at plastered all over the page. And it shows up over and over again until you search for something else and then that something else will take on. Matter of fact, uh, when you make purchases, surveys pop up asking you about your shopping experience. They print it on the receipt. They text it to you. Uh, every time you stay at a hotel, you get an email from the booking site uh, asking you to rate it. When you purchase apps and put them on your phone, they ask you to rate the apps. Not only is the, the rating helpful to those that come behind you, uh, but it's uh, also helpful for what you want to check out in the future. 
It's a little wonder that we've begun to believe that marketers know much more about ourselves than we do. And the interesting thing is, is they've wanted, they've, they've learned this about us and they have been doing it for years. I read an article about, it, it comes from an event that happened probably eight years or more ago, but there was a father that got mad at a retail store because the store started sending his house coupons for things like formula and diapers and baby wipes. And he got mad because the father said that no one at his house was pregnant. Why are y'all sending me these coupons? Well, what had happened is the store had predicted from the, the shopping patterns that his daughter was pregnant. She didn't buy anything out of the ordinary uh, to us. And she certainly was not buying diapers and baby wipes yet, but they figured out based on the other things that she purchased that people who purchase these things are likely to be in the early stages of the first trimester of pregnancy. And because they were able to analyze the shopping habits, they said, we know what's going on and we know what's about to happen next. Paying attention to people pays off. We see Jesus conducting a survey uh, here in scripture. Jesus is taking the disciples to Caesarea Philippi and he decides I'm going to give my disciples some poll questions and see how they handle it. But in Jesus's case, it's not so much to gather information, but uh, to give them a give a chance rather to define what kind of discipleship he was looking for from them and what kind of discipleship he is looking for for from us as believers. Uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Some said John the Baptist, others said Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. Uh, then Jesus flips it on them. But who do you say I am? What is your opinion on the matter? You will not be able to, you cannot hide behind other people's words on this matter. You've been walking and talking with me. Who do you say I am? Uh, and when he asks these questions, we get the first scandal. Uh, the first scandal is Peter's confession. Uh, they say, who do you say I am? And Peter says, the Messiah. And he tells them to keep that quiet. You see, the Messiah is something familiar, is commonplace to us because we're, we're 2,000 years removed from the situation and we're reading the story after it already happens. We know the end, but at that time, the people who heard it, it was not so clear. Uh, when you study the book of Mark, Jesus is only called the Messiah twice in the entire gospel. Once right here, when Peter says it, and once again, when the high priest interrogates him, uh, the Roman authorities did not like to hear about Jewish people having a Messiah. 
because the prophecies indicated that the Messiah was a king and a priest. The Messiah was there to rule the government and rule the religion. So for someone to say, I am the Messiah during the biblical times meant that they were telling the Roman government, I am the new king. This was a scandalous statement. And so it's easy to look at something from the biblical times and be like, oh, of course, Jesus is the Messiah. We definitely understand that uh, and look at it now. Uh, but that's what we believe because we are in this room right now. That's what we believe. That's what we believe because we have these churches and these denominations. But during that time, you were basically saying, I'm here to overthrow the Roman oppressors. That's what they heard when someone said I was the Messiah, and that's why they tried to kill all of the Messiahs that came before and overthrow them before they got too big because they were concerned about keeping their power. This was a scandalous statement. Uh, the second scandal from this survey was Jesus' prophecy. Uh, Jesus summarized the whole gospel in a few words. Jesus did in one verse what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tried to do in their entire books. It says that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. The son of man, the Messiah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ancient of days. Uh, he was supposed to suffer, be killed and rise again on the third day. The disciples and the other people that would have been around at that time were not used to hearing that kind of talk. Uh, the passage I read about Mark chapter eight, when we get to Mark chapter eight, verses 27 and forward. See, the first eight chapters of Mark were like Jesus being like a rock star going on tour. Jesus was going around performing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening up blinded eyes, setting the captives free. And the disciples were his entourage that were going with him. He was doing this so much that Jesus couldn't even take a vacation in foreign lands without people hearing about him, coming up to him and saying, heal me or heal my friend or heal my child. Amen. Now he's talking about humiliation, rejection, death and resurrection. Resurrection is cool, but it's that death part before the resurrection that may bother uh, some people. And people were expecting the Messiah to overthrow the Roman oppressors, free the people of God, save them from all their troubles, not get rejected by elders and priests. That is hard for people to hear. But you have to understand that there are going to be some good times and some bad times, they're all going to come together. And so we had these two scandals, and the third scandal was Peter's rebuke. Peter pulled Jesus to the side and rebuked him. 
I thought it would be strange that Peter would have the audacity, uh, the unmitigated nerve to try to tell Jesus what to do. But then I thought about it. There's probably some people right now in the church that think they can tell Jesus what to do. When you think about what kind of arguments that happen in the church, arguments about what kind of music to play, uh, what the pastor's supposed to wear or not wear, who's in the pulpit, who's not, who's a member and who's not, whether or not we should be evangelizing or not, what are we going to do for fundraisers? When you think about the kinds of things that we as church folk argue over, I can see Jesus coming back and somebody telling him that ain't the way church is supposed to go. You're doing it wrong. Peter attempted to rebuke Jesus because Jesus had said something that Peter didn't and probably the other disciples as well did not want to hear. Scandals. And the fourth scandal was Jesus' rebuke. Uh, Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. And then calls the crowd over to make sure that everybody gets this clear. Peter came to Jesus in private, but Jesus wanted to make sure that he did not have to have any more private conversations about this again. I can relate to that. I can relate to not wanting to repeat yourself six and seven times over. So if there's something that needs to be done, I like to try to tell everybody at the same time. So everybody hears it at the same time. They may not appreciate it, but I'm trying to manage the time. And so Jesus faced the whole crowd. So that he would not have to do this again. And he addresses the entire group telling them that anybody that wants to become my follower. They have to take up their cross and follow me. What does it profit to gain the whole world if you lose your soul? As believers, Jesus is telling us we have to have the right priorities. Following Jesus means that you have to be concerned about others over yourself. Discipleship is not about comfort. It is about the work of the cross. And so we have to put down our preferences and pick up those of Christ. You see, marketers and marketing capitalizes on the fact that we want things for ourselves and prefer things that match our own best interests. But Jesus is calling us to check a different box on the survey. We will save our lives by losing them. And the actual profit comes through giving our lives over to Jesus, living for his sake, living for his kingdom. Discipleship is not is not popular, it's not trendy, it's not easy. We don't do it for our own personal gain. We do it for Jesus and the work of the kingdom. 
And the good news is that with all the scandals, the hard work, and the self-sacrifice, that in the end, Jesus will win. Jesus says that if you are ashamed of him now, you, he's going to be ashamed of you when he comes again. And he will come with the glory of the Father and with God's holy angels. In the end, Jesus has the victory and he already knows it. And so while he's giving those surveys and checking off those boxes, we can check off a few boxes for him. Born of a virgin, check. Suffering under Pontius Pilate, check. Crucified, dead, and buried, check, check, and check. Rose again on the third day, check. Got all power in his hand, check. Seated at the right hand of the Father, check. And he's coming back again, check. And as we check off those things about Jesus on his survey, can I ask you to check off a few boxes? Do you know him? Will you believe it? Do you believe it? And will you be ready? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Pray with me, church. Oh, Lord, our God, how excellent you are. You are the one who was and is and is to come. There is none like you in all the earth. We thank you for your word that has gone forth, for those who have heard it and will hear it, for those who have seen it and will see it, that if there is someone who does not know Jesus Christ in the pardoning of their sins, they'll want to get to know him and want to grow in right relationship with you. Let your word be a seed that is planted in good soil and produces a great harvest, 30, 60 and 100 fold in the name above all names the name that every knee shall bow and tongue confesses lord jesus the christ we submit this prayer amen thank you so much for watching this video please be sure to like comment subscribe and share don't forget to connect with me on social media pastor johnny simpson jr on facebook at pastor j simp jr on instagram and twitter Thanks again for watching and God bless.